It's a wonder and a privilege. It's a wonderful privilege to be your speaker this morning. And as before I give this talk, I just want to make it clear I'm extremely humbled by this opportunity. It's great to see evangelists here, seasoned evangelists, and I'm truly honored and humbled by this privilege to be your speaker, like I said. I'm thankful for the songs that were sung, the songs that were led, and the prayers that were led up to this point. And my prayer is that what we will cover this morning would be done in both spirit and in truth. I'd like to direct your attention to a passage found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We read of two, we read of two different men. They both find the same thing. They both react in the same way. But they came to this point in two separate, two completely different ways. The first man found this pearl of great price, this great treasure, by coincidence. He was not looking for it. The second man found this pearl of great price by his persistence. He was looking for it. And the reason why we read this passage as our opening statement is because no matter our background, we just read about each and every one of us. No matter your background, maybe you're like the first man who came to the church, this pearl of great price, by coincidence. Your family brought you here, and you were raised here, so to speak. But perhaps there's some of us who were not so fortunate. We came to it by our persistence, our looking. But regardless of how we came here, maybe there are some here this morning who have not entered the kingdom of heaven and have not been added. But no matter our background, whether it's a babe in Christ or someone who's seasoned in the faith, this sermon is foundational and fundamental for all Christians, even for those people who are weighing the cost of discipleship. For just a little while this morning, I want to speak of the establishment of the church. Jesus spoke concerning his church in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, the Bible says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what we see in this one clear-cut passage is that when we speak of the kingdom of heaven, we speak of the church, they're synonymous. In fact, the church is the physical manifestation of God's kingdom on the earth. It is a spiritual kingdom. And for just a little while this morning, I want us to cover four points. Number one, the church was planned. The church was planned before time began. It was never God's plan B. As many false doctrines teach, no, God always had the church in his heart, and it was never an accident to establish. Number two, we will look at the church prophesied. We will look at two Old Testament prophecies that predicted the coming of God's kingdom hundreds of years beforehand. Then we will transition to the New Testament, looking at 
the church proclaimed. We will see what men like John the Baptist, Jesus, and the disciples preach concerning the kingdom of heaven. And Lord willing, our study will conclude with the church present. But to begin our study, we will start with the church planned. Though this might be small, I'll go ahead and read it. We'll read it and just bear with me. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. This passage is saturated. It is layered with great teachings. I just want to pull out a couple. The Apostle Paul, he speaks of this great mystery, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is speaking of is there was something unknown for hundreds and thousands of years. It was how God was going to turn a sinner and make him a saint. And Paul says, now this manifold wisdom, God's abundant grace and mercy is now made known by the church through the church. The church was to be the vehicle, the vessel, the instrument that was going to spread the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins to the world. And the Apostle Paul says very clearly, he says, this was according to the eternal purpose. To us, this is very simple. This is very straightforward. But you have no idea how many false doctrines we just destroyed with this one passage. And just personally speaking, when I study the Bible, I don't like studying all the false bills, all the counterfeits. If you just know what the real $100 bill looks like, you know what the others, you know what the fake ones are. You can spot them like that. So just with this fundamental teaching, we see that the church was always in God's heart, always planned from before time began. But not only was the church planned, it was also prophesied. And for just a little while, we're going to look at two Old Testament prophecies. The first one being in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. And the second one we will look at is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But beginning with Daniel chapter 2, to set the scene, when many of us think of Daniel, we think of Daniel in the lion's den. But we forget that Daniel was a prophet. He was a man that God gave the ability to interpret visions and dreams. And in this context in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He has this vision which torments him. He does not understand it. And he seeks all the soothsayers, all the astrologers to interpret his dream. But they cannot do it. And in this group of people are a couple of folks we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel is in this group of the wise men. And the reason why he's important is because if he doesn't come up with the interpretation, everybody will be killed. All of the soothsayers and the wise men. So the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 27... Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, 
And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. This phrase right here, the latter days, is something that is very important for us when we study the establishment of the church. Because this phrase refers to the end of the Mosaic dispensation. The end of the Old Testament when the New Testament was going to begin. The New Covenant, the Christian age. He says this is going to happen in the latter days. And he prophesies and he gives this great picture, this interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. What we see is this sculpture that represents different kingdoms to come. The gold represented the Babylonian kingdom. Then the Medo-Persians followed by the Greeks. Then the Roman Empire. But in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, we speak of the kingdom that God was going to establish. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, the Bible says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So after prophesying of the world kingdoms to come, Daniel, he, he contrasts the physical kingdoms with the spiritual kingdom that God was going to establish. Unlike those physical kingdoms, which were temporary, that would be captured, God's kingdom would be eternal. It would never be conquered. And instead of being established by men, it was going to be established by God without the, mans of, without the hands of men. But what we want to draw from this passage is it teaches us when in world history the kingdom of heaven, the church, was going to be established. During the days of these kings, the Roman Empire. So we see our investigation is becoming much more narrow in scope. But Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2, he gives us some similar details to the coming of Christ's kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1, Isaiah said, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So similarly to Daniel and Daniel 2, Isaiah 2 gives us more details concerning God's kingdom. He gives us the who, what, and where. Who's going to be there? All nations. Where are they going to be? In Zion, in Jerusalem. And what's going to happen? The word of the Lord is going to go out from there first. And this is going to be very important once we transition to the New Testament. But up to this point, it's been very simple, very straight, straightforward. During the Roman Empire, the latter days, Jerusalem, all nations are going to be there. And the word of the Lord is going to be sent out from there. But after the last Old Testament prophet spoke, 
400 years past called the silent period. And after this time period, there arose a man in the wilderness of Judea who came about. The church was proclaimed first by John the Baptist in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, John the Baptist said, the Bible says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A few months later, Jesus came about. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see John the Baptist preach it was at hand. Jesus preached the same thing. But not only that, Jesus' disciples were commanded to do the same thing, to preach the same. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, the Bible says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they all said the same thing. But we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean it's at hand? When something is at hand, it is close. It is within arm's reach. It's like the door. It's like the handle on the door. Then we have to ask ourselves, well, Isaac, well, how close was the kingdom of heaven actually to coming? Well, let's let the Bible interpret itself. The Bible says in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So Jesus says, how close is it? Some of you guys are going to be alive to see it. We got to call a timeout real quick. He's talking to his disciples. And we have to ask, why does he say some of them would see this and not all of them? And that's because there was one person there who was not going to be there when the kingdom came. Judas. Judas Iscariot was going to betray Jesus and kill himself before the coming of the kingdom. So that was indeed a fact. That was true. But there's also another detail in this passage we would overlook. The second is, he says it was going to come with power. It was going to make the coming of the kingdom unavoidable, unmistakable. You were going to know when it came. There'd be no doubts about it. So we know, well, how close was it? It was at hand. It was going to come during the sum of their lifetimes. And it was going to come with power. They'd see it come. But Matthew and Mark are not the only gospel accounts that give us some details concerning the kingdom of heaven when it's establishment. Luke says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, this is after Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's been resurrected. He's now appeared to his disciples and giving, him, giving them their last instructions before he ascends into heaven. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, the Bible says, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is where we start to see the puzzle pieces fitting together ever more clearly. Where Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2, in Jerusalem, all nations are going to be there. The law of the Lord is going to go forth. Jesus connects this and he interprets it. He says, repentance and remission of sins are going to be preached first at Jerusalem. That was the law of the Lord which was going to go forth. And that's why Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. But not only are we connecting the Old Testament with the New, we're going to connect the New Testament with the New. Because he also says, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. Where Mark said the power was going to come with the establishment, Jesus interprets it even more. He says, it's the power from on high. It's power from God. As we see, like I said, the puzzle pieces are ever more clear. They're progressing more and more. We're connecting the dots. But now we have to connect this to the book of Acts. Because where the gospel of Luke ends, the book of Acts begins. So this is another recording. This is another record of the same conversation Jesus had after he died, buried, and was resurrected. His final conversation with his disciples. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the, to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus tells them again, stay in Jerusalem. Stay there for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father it refers to a promise that Jesus gave in John chapter 12 through chapter 16 where he speaks of the helper who was going to come, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. So we see this is, this is the same language that we've been covering. And he says this is going to happen not many days from now. What we read in Acts 1, 1 through 3 was that Jesus taught them for 40 days after being resurrected. When he says not many days from now, he's talking about in 10 days. This is going to happen on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is the 50th day after the last Passover where Jesus had been killed. Not many days from now, in 10 days, this is going to happen. And they ask him in verse 6 the million-dollar question. This is that moment in the Bible study when you're talking to someone and you have all that you have planned. You want to say X, Y, and Z. 
And the person you're studying with, they beat you to the punch. They ask the million dollar question. They've been taught concerning the kingdom of heaven. They say, is it now that it's supposed to come? And he says, it's none of your business. It'll come when my father says so. And then he reaffirms them. He says, but you shall receive power. The same promise that he gave when it was going to come earlier in Mark 9 and Luke 24. What was the power? What was the power from on high is now called the Holy Spirit. So we're seeing this, it fits perfectly when we just let the Bible speak. And going on, we now transition from when it was proclaimed to now it's finally going to be made present. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see this is the moment we've been waiting for. The church has gone from forethought to fruition. It's now that day we've been talking about, the day of Pentecost, an old Jewish uh, celebration holiday where Jews from all over the world would go to Jerusalem. Exact same thing Isaiah said in Isaiah 2. All nations were going to be there. All the Jews are there to celebrate the Passover. But this Passover was different than anything that had ever happened before. Because this was the first Passover where the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, the Messiah who they've been waiting for, had already come and they killed him. And as they're sitting together in a room, the power from on high, the Holy Spirit fills them. And it's now time for the kingdom to come. And the Bible says in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we can't get into all of this glorious and beautiful sermon in Acts chapter 2, what's going to happen. But to give us a brief overview, these men, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They go outside. Everybody hears this noise. And they see these Galileans speaking in different tongues. Now they heard these men speaking in their own languages. So we know that speaking in tongues is not gibberish. And everybody, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. These Galileans, aren't these just Galileans? How are they all speaking in our own languages? And someone says, oh, you know what? These guys are drunk. These guys, these Galileans, you know, that Galilee is not necessarily the Harvard of the Middle East. So they say, this, this is not possible. These guys got to be drunk. Which is interesting. Drunk men can't even speak their own language, let alone a language they'd never learned before. So their argument doesn't really make sense. And Peter says, no, 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 no. We're not drunk, and it's only 9 a.m. And in fact, this was what was exactly prophesied by Joel the prophet in Joel chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So Peter says, no, 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 this isn't crazy. This isn't unrational. This is scriptural. This was prophesied of 
hundreds of years beforehand by Joel. And isn't it beautiful? God put it in such a way we could never mess it up. Daniel 2, Isaiah 2, Joel 2, Acts 2. It all fits, it all fits perfectly. And Peter thus defends what was going on. This was not crazy. This was the wonderful works of God. And now we skipped, we skimmed to the ending of this sermon. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, the Bible says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We didn't even get into this passage, but before Matthew 16 and 18, after Jesus makes, after Peter makes the good confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You'll open the door to the, gen to the Jews and to the Gentiles later in Acts 10. And thus we see that's why Peter's the one preaching this sermon. He's the one opening the door to something that was at hand for so long. And look at what he says. Repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins. He didn't just come up with that. That was the law of the Lord Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 2. And that's exactly what Jesus said to preach in Luke 24. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached everywhere, starting at Jerusalem. No man could ever have made that. No man could have ever set up this plan in such a way. You got people from different continents, different languages, hundreds of years apart. This has to be from God. And it is. As we move forward, we've seen the connections throughout. When was this supposed to happen? During the Roman Empire. When did it happen? During the Roman Empire. When was this supposed to happen in the scope of the Bible? In the latter days, the last days of the Jewish dispensation. Then we see who was going to be there. All nations were said in the Old Testament. All nations in the New Testament were there in the day of Pentecost. Where? In Zion and in Jerusalem. It happened in Jerusalem. And what happened there? The law would go forth. Repentance and forgiveness of sins was preached. And thus we see the kingdom of God, the church, was established. It was finally made present. And just with some extra proof on this in Acts chapter 2, we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 what happened to those first converts. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. So this teaches us when you are baptized, it's not the end. That's how you get on the team. It's just the beginning. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And it's the same with us. It's an each and every day decision to take up our cross and follow him. 
And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We covered in the beginning this was the plan from eternity. This was the system, the scheme where God was going to take a sinner and make them a saint. The importance of the church is seen in this verse because this church is where the saved are at. There's no salvation in any other name and in any other place than the church. And we see that throughout the New Testament. The Bible is spoken, the Bible says that the kingdom, the church, has been established always. I want to give you a freebie. You guys have been listening very well. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, this is John the testator. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says right there, it's real subtle. He says, I am your brother in the kingdom. I learned this from Brother Alan Bonifay who learned this from Brother Linwood Smith. There's this false doctrine out there that people talk about the church hasn't come yet. Revelation chapter 21, there's this kingdom supposed to come for a thousand years that hasn't come up yet. And this is what I was taught and I'll share with you. The same man who wrote the 21st chapter wrote the first chapter. And how did he say, I am your brother in the kingdom if it had not come yet? The evidence is clear. It, it is here. And as Linwood used to say, that's ungetoverable. But thus we see the church is present. And many people say that the church is not important. You don't have to go. You don't have to be a member fervently and give your all. But I want us to look at the cost of the church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. What we just talked about this morning for just a little bit was the life work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I can't read hearts, but I can tell you if this doesn't move us, there's something wrong. Each and every day, he took a step in the right direction to make the church from forethought to fruition, to bring it. And he cared about her so much. He didn't just live for her. He died for her. Greater love has no one than this, to offer one's life for his friends, to die for his friends. What about to die for your wife? And I want to call my second time out. Almost above, more than three years ago, when I obeyed the gospel, I would, I would sit there and I'd drive places and I'd think to myself, what would be my breaking point? What would have to, what would have to happen in my life for me to quit? Would it be to be burned to death? Would it be to be stoned? 
to be buried alive, to be killed in any way, at what point would I just give up and say, I can't do this anymore? I was driving through this part of Oakdale. It's the industrial area. And I remember thinking this thought to myself. Isaac, if you don't even live for the church, you don't even have to worry about dying for her. And the same is true with us today. We don't have to worry about dying or anything if we don't even live for her now. The Bible says in John 3 and verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist in that context was speaking of Jesus' ministry has to be glorified, has to take center aim and the spotlight, and I have to decrease. But that teaching is still true for us today. I do not live this life for my own. Philippians 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we live this life for him because he died for us. So we ought to live for him. This is but our reasonable sacrifice. As Paul would say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be living sacrifices. And as we transition to the end of our sermon, no matter our background, maybe you come here today and you're just here by coincidence. You weren't even looking for this. You didn't even expect this to happen this morning. I can tell you what, each and every one of us has just approached the door of the kingdom of heaven. But we have to ask ourselves, have I entered that? Have I obeyed the gospel in the same way that those first Christians did on the day of Pentecost? And I don't really know how to motivate people, but I know what can motivate people is the words of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, the first man, he found it by coincidence. The second man found it by his persistence. They both responded the same way. They forsook all, they left all, they gave up all to have that pearl of great price, the church. Will you do the same thing this morning? Will you dedicate your life? Will you obey the gospel? And if you are a Christian, will you continue to live your life for Christ? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.